Our first Bible reading is going to be from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And our second reading uh, is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13, through to chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Well, thanks, Mel. Don't you love daylight saving? Every year you expect it. But it doesn't help me go to bed any earlier. Do you, do you find that? Uh, it, it, it's just cu- cutting in and out a little bit. No, we're good. Okay. Not anymore. That's great. Uh, every, every year I put the alarm on, and it's worse with technology, isn't it? Because you, you go to sleep, and your phone sometimes tells you how much sleep you're going to get an hour less than normal. But there you go. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, and I'm going to pray that we have God's help as we look at his word, because we have an hour less sleep to help us. But uh, let's pray that God will help us, hey, as we come to his word. Father, please open our minds to understand your word. Help us to crave 
it as the pure spiritual milk that provides us with wonderful spiritual nourishment. May we taste and see that you are good. And we pray that we would see you as holy, as who you are this morning, that we would be captured by what you have done for us and what it means to live as your holy people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paige and I, as we moved to the coast this year, we, we moved into my parents' backyard, into the granny flat, which was a wonderful blessing during COVID. Remember the first wave, anxiety was a bit higher than it is now, and we were kind of isolated to our homes, and it was really lovely, actually. There's lots of horrible things that have happened because of COVID, but that was a great blessing, that we actually had family that we could gather together with. And my sister came from Newcastle, and so it was lovely to have the family together for a couple of months. But, uh, and, and, you know, my brother's in Tauri, so not the whole family, uh, but, but it really was lovely. One, one of the problems, though, was we had an issue with cups. See, th- this may just be our family. I'm not sure if you can relate to this, but, you know, when you take a cup from the cupboard and you drink it, say a glass of water, put it on the bench... And you walk out of the room, go to another room, and then you come back and you aren't sure whether it's your cup because there's now some other cups as well. They look the same. And so you end up taking another cup from the cupboard, do the same thing. And everyone was doing that because of germs, right? So it's a heightened sense of, I'm not sure which one's my cup, I'm going to take another one, until we had no cups left in the cupboard. I can see a couple of nods and a couple of confused looks. I take it that's a polarising thing in households. But it was a problem for us. And so we had a cupboard empty of cups, a dishwasher full, and a problem. And so my father, your senior pastor, came up with a solution. Convened the family meeting, and he said, we need to sort this out. We, we, we need to get... Uh, he said, here, here was his solution. To give us each a family of cups, is what he called it. And so we got the long, tall, skinny ones for one person, the, the short, fat ones for someone else. Now, I got the cups with the coloured pink and green bottoms. That was my family. Kind of ingenious, don't you think? So, so now, when you see a cup on the bench, you know which one's yours, and there you go. Now, it's a stupid problem we had in our household, and I take it maybe a little bit of a stupid solution, kind of uh, unpacks for us the stupid problem we have, but it does illustrate something significant in our passage. It gives us a little bit of a sense of what the word holy means. See, the word holy in the Bible means to be set apart, like the cup. Yeah, so my family of cups, the, the green and the pink bottom cups, were set apart for my use so that I alone could drink them. But we're going to see something very significant in our passage, that God, a holy God, has called us to be holy, to be set apart for his purposes. We're going to consider this morning what it means to be holy for God. And to answer the question, that question, I want to unpack a particular phrase from our passage. Have a look down at verse 16. Peter quotes an Old Testament passage, Be holy because I am holy. To unpack that verse, I just want to... I've got three points, and they're up on the screen. This is where we're going to go. First point is, God is holy. Second point, God redeems us. And the third point... So, be holy. That's where we're heading. But here's our first point. God is holy. Look back at that verse. Verse, uh, verse six, 
16, be holy because I am holy. Do you see the logic of that verse? We're going to see in our last point what it means to be holy. But notice Peter says, be holy because God is holy. And so we need to come and consider what it means for God to be holy. To do that, I want to take you to that first passage we read from Isaiah chapter 6. So turn there in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. Now, it is a deeply significant passage on the holiness of God, and it is of great significance for us to look at it. So come with me, Isaiah chapter 6. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. Isaiah is one of God's prophets. He He was preaching to his people, often preaching judgment, but he sees a vision... Uh, Pick it up at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy. Now, I wonder what your view of God is. I wonder what word you would use to describe God. There's lots of words the Bible uses to describe God. God is love. He is merciful. He is just. He is kind. But no other word in the Bible is used three times to describe God. God is holy, Holy, holy. Now, to repeat something in the Bible is to emphasize its importance. That's why Jesus says, truly, truly, or very truly, our Bibles will say. Truly, truly, I say to you. But to repeat holy, holy, holy is to say, God is very, very, very holy. What does it mean for God to be holy? We've already seen that the word holy means to be set apart. But it's not like the seraphim are in heaven saying, set apart, set apart, set apart. It's not quite the sense of it, is it? To be holy for God is the fact that he is God and we are not. There is a distinct difference there, isn't there? God is God and he is utterly distinct from his creatures. He is set apart from us in that sense. He is holy. He is other. There is none like God. See, to say God is holy comes very close to saying he is God. Do you see how linked those things are? God's holiness is his, it's like his godness. The fact that he is alone God. But another aspect of God's holiness that flows out from the fact that he is God and there is no other is that he is totally separate, opposed to sin. He is totally morally perfect. The Apostle John in the book of 1 John writes that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Pure, blinding perfection. That is what it means for God to be holy. But what happens when one of us, when a sinful human being, comes face to face with a holy God? Well, have a look at what happens to Isaiah. Have a look at verse 5 in in Isaiah chapter 6. 
Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It is a terrifying thing to come face to face with a holy God. You see, Isaiah is completely overcome with his own sin and with the utter holiness of the God he stands before. He says, woe is me, I am ruined. It's like he's saying, the end has come. Surely I will be consumed because I've seen the Lord. How can I survive? Now you see this pattern all through the Bible. Every time a human being, a sinful human being, comes face to face with the holy God, the same thing happens. Take the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20. God has led them extraordinarily through the Red Sea. He's brought them out of slavery from Egypt. You can see clearly God is for them, isn't he? He is good. But yet when they come to Mount Sinai, when God gives the law to Moses and to the people, verse 18 of Exodus chapter 20, let me pick it up there. God speaks to them and verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will surely die. Don't have God speak to us, or we will die. Do you see what happens when a sinful human being comes face to face with the holy God? Utter awareness of our sin, of the holiness of God, and a sure confidence of one thing, that we will die in his presence. I wonder if you've read the book of The Lion, the Witch in the Water. You know, C.S. Lewis, the, the Narnia Chronicles. It's the first one that was made into a movie. What if you remember the scene where, remember Narnia, the, the four children go through the wardrobe into the land of Narnia, which is in winter. But the children are talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver at one point. And they're talking about Aslan because they're going to meet him. And let, let, let me read, let me read from the story. So Lucy asks, Is Aslan a man? Aslan a man, Mr. Beaver said sternly. Certainly not. I tell you that he is the king of the wood and the son of the emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I I thought he was a man. Is Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. Not, he is not safe, but he is good. Now that is our God, isn't it? Our God is holy, holy, holy. He is not safe. Because a holy God coming face to face with a sinful human being is a terrifying thing. But he is good. I wonder what your view of God is. I wonder what you think of when you think of God. I take it we're very tempted to domesticate our view of God in order to make him more comfortable to us. But God is holy. And he is good. He is not safe, but he is good. But you see the problem we're faced with. How, how do we, who have turned our backs on God, who have rejected the God of the universe, who have sinned against him, how do we ever, 
How could we ever have a hope of standing before him without being utterly consumed? The Bible could be summed up as God bringing an answer to that question. How, do we, how can a sinful people dwell with a holy God? Which brings us to our second point. God redeems us. Now come over to 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 18. Peter says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Do you see the great problem facing humanity is that we have turned our backs on a holy God, that we've rejected him. But Peter sums that up as an empty way of life that enslaves us. It is a way of life that we live and breathe in our culture, isn't it? To reject or even to ignore the God who made us. To continue to live that way, Peter says, is empty. But more than that, it is a path, a collision course with the judgment of a holy God. At the start of the year, when I was at university, so, so um, a Rimba campus where I work with the students there, uh, I was running a Bible study, and this is one of the only four weeks of the year that I actually got to be in person with the students on campus, so really precious. <laughs> but a couple of minutes before we started, I was just in one of the tutorial rooms, and a guy walked in, just a first year, who, who didn't know what the room was used for, and he said, you know, what, what, do you know what this room's used for? I said, well, it's used for a whole bunch of classes, but right now... We're doing Bible study. Uh, do you want to come? And he said, well, okay. <laughs> and he sat down. And then the next question he asked me was, well, what's Bible study? <laughs> so I said, well, it's where we look at the Bible together. So we open it and we read it. Uh, and he said, I've never opened a Bible before. So I gave him one. Lucky I had a spare one. And he sat there for the whole hour. And it was the first time he'd ever come and looked at God's word. Now, isn't that a tragedy? What a wonderful opportunity for that guy, but what a tragedy. Our culture is moving further and further away from God and his word, and we need to be very careful of listening to it because it is an empty way of life. Notice Peter says it's an empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors. The natural bent of human history is to be opposed to God and his word. And I just want to make a comment. That is the state of our culture, that often people are very opposed to Christianity, but they've never even opened a Bible. They've never even met God in his word. It is vital that we open it and share it with our friends and family. Some of them have never even touched it, never even read or tasted the words of God. But that is the way of life. That is the way to eternal life. It is the only hope. Jesus, they need desperately God's word. Peter says life outside of Christ is empty. But God has provided a way out. It is an extraordinary truth. Redemption. Now the word redemption probably doesn't mean much to many of us. But in the first century it made perfect sense where Peter's writing because to redeem someone was often that they would know that you could go to the slave market in the middle of the city 
and you'd pay a sum of money in order to to um, to redeem that slave. So it's called manumission. So so you'd go and pay a sum of money, and a slave would be freed from slavery. That's redemption. Very similar to the idea of ransom that we have. So, so someone is held captive, a sum of money is paid, and then they walk free. God has redeemed you, Peter says, from the slavery of that empty way of life. But in what sense? How? Well, it's the precious blood of Christ that redeems us, a lamb without blemish. See, Peter says that Christ is the perfect sacrificial lamb. See, this is a profound truth of the Bible, that Jesus came to our world, came to earth. God himself became a man and came to earth to die for you on the cross so that we can be forgiven. But how does that actually redeem us? In what sense does that redeem us? Well, as Jesus died, he took our sin on himself. That's what he was doing on the cross. As he died, he took your sin and mine on himself. But here's the thing. We've seen to, to stand before a holy God as a sinner is a terrifying thing. To take our sins on himself is no small thing that Jesus did. See, we have sinned against the holy God and we deserve his righteous judgment. That is, God's, uh, that is an expression of his holiness that he cannot tolerate sin. It is opposed to what is good. That's why Isaiah is so afraid, and that is what Jesus took on himself, our sin and God's judgment with it. So that as Jesus dies, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, as the earth shakes, as the sky goes black, Jesus takes the judgment of God on himself for our sin. Now, a couple of years ago, I was organising a youth camp that I was speaking on about the death of Jesus, and I'd booked in for this, this venue, which was much nicer than our church. Uh, and so the, you know, the church down the road, they had a ping-pong table, pool tables, really nice venue. But as I was having coffee with the youth pastor, I kind of invited them to come along, and they, they were talking about, well, what, are, what am I going to speak on? And I said, that, you know, the death of Jesus, and... As we were having coffee, the youth pastor said, well, we don't believe in the judgment of God. You can't speak on that. (laughs) Uh, What if you just speak of God's love? That would be much more comfortable for our students. And so I gave up the pool table and the table tennis table because we, we couldn't meet together without talking about the heart of the cross, which is that Jesus took the judgment of God on himself. We cannot lose that because that is the very fact that God shows his love in the cross. Do you see how far short it falls to take God's judgment out of the picture? If Jesus didn't take God's judgment, then it is still left for us on the final day. But that is the good news that he has taken it in our place, so that there is none left for us. Which means if you trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. What an extraordinary truth. God has redeemed you. You are forgiven. Wiped clean. 
so that we have been redeemed from our empty way of life. So that whatever you've done, you know how there might be something that you have done in your past that makes you feel really dirty, really unclean. And it feels like, well, I just can't erase it. I can't take it away. Surely God can't forgive me. But that's the good news of what Jesus came to do. None of us were clean, and yet he takes it all away as we trust in him. What was the cost of our redemption? It was the death of God's only son, of extraordinary price. Now, because you were redeemed, it means you belong now to God. That's the implication. He bought you with the blood of his son, which means you belong to him. And so he sets you apart like the cups on the kitchen bench to be his, to be holy. He makes you his. So here's our last point, be holy. But it's important we follow the logic of what we've just done. God is holy. God has redeemed us, so be holy. We must follow that logic through because it is only through the redemption that comes from Christ that we can be holy. Do you see how powerful the death of Jesus is as a motivator to live as God's holy people? He has saved us. Why would we want to sin any longer? Why wouldn't we want to be God's people because of what he has done for us? Do you see how inappropriate it would be to continue living the way we used to? But here's three things that Peter gives us as commands that he urges us to do in order to live as God's holy people. There's lots of other things we could talk about with holiness. I just want to focus on the three things that Peter suggests. And they're up on the screen. First one is to fear God. Have a look down at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, it is an extraordinary privilege, isn't it? That because we've been redeemed, we get to call on God as our father. He loves us. He has redeemed us to be his children. But the God who is our father is also our judge. Did you notice that in the passage? God knows everything we do, everything we think, everything we do that others don't know. God is our judge. So what does Peter say? Live out your time here as foreigners in fear. Now the NIV here has included a word, reverent. It's not there in the text. It's kind of sanitized the translation, but it literally just says, live out your time here in fear of God. In what sense? Well, it's not speaking of a lack of confidence on the final day. We need to be clear about that. I remember last week we saw the glorious hope we have. It is sure that we will be with the Lord Jesus for eternity. There is nothing to fear on that last day. Now, it is to fear God to live now with him as our audience, the audience of one, to live for him. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher from a long time ago now, <laughs> said this, He who fears God has nothing else to fear. How often do you find yourself afraid of what other people think? So much of my anxiety is personal, I don't know about you, I'll just speak for myself, come from what other people think of me. 
So much of the stupid things I've done in my life come because I cared what other people thought more than what God thought. See, we, we listen too quickly and we care too much about what others think of us and often very little about what our Heavenly Father thinks of what we do. But we are called to live with an audience of one. To fear God means we do not need to fear anyone else. Second, we're to love one another. Verse 22, have a look down there. Now, now you have been purified, you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. See, one of the marks of holiness for Christians, well, one of the marks that we have rightly understood the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we've trusted in him, is love. The night before Jesus died, he said to his disciples, before he displayed the most extraordinary demonstration of love the world has ever seen, this is how they will know you are my disciples, that you love one another. Now, Christians should have more capacity to love than anyone else in the world, shouldn't we? We have been given an extraordinary love by God. Think about how much he has loved us, what he has done for us. We love much, or we should, because we have been shown great love. But it's easy to love each other when we're lovable, isn't it? It's much harder when people are unlovely. That's where things get tricky, isn't it? Because very often, we ourselves and others around us are unlovable. But have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. So here's the list of things Peter says to get rid of, to rid yourselves of. Let me read them. All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Now I just want to run through those really quick and explain how each of those things is a product of us loving ourselves over and above other people. Have a look at them. Malice is when we have evil intent towards someone else in order to benefit ourselves, isn't it? Deceit. Why do we tell lies? We, we, we tell lies because it is easier in that moment for us rather than to tell the truth which would benefit the other person. Hypocrisy. We so often come under... Uh, we pretend things rather than being who we really are in order to make things easier for ourselves. Envy. Craving what someone else has and feeling bitter about it. And slander, to bring someone else down in order to feel better about ourselves for a little bit of time. We have a great capacity to hurt one another, don't we? With our words, our actions, our thoughts. But Peter says we're to love one another deeply, from the heart. And the time I find it hardest to love people, and I'm sure this is you as well, is when they've really, really hurt you. I can think of people, I'm sure you can as well, who have really hurt you over the last couple of years. That's life, isn't it? People hurt each other. And I've been thinking over the last few weeks about forgiveness. Let me just offer a couple of reflections. Forgiveness is really, really, really hard, isn't it? It involves a massive cost. Why is that? Well, Because when you forgive someone, it's not like it all just goes away, does it? The hurt is still there, and the hurt doesn't just disappear. You're left with it. Because the opposite of forgiving someone is to lash out and kind of feel better about it by retribution. But to forgive, you absorb the cost yourself. But when I'm struggling to forgive, here's something I try and think about. 
Imagine what it was like for Jesus to forgive us. Knowing what we had done to God and that he had done nothing wrong. He forgave us. And here's the thing. It didn't just evaporate, did it? Jesus took in himself the cost of that forgiveness. We have a great motivation to forgive. Here's the last thing. We're to crave the word. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, Peter urges us to crave pure spiritual milk. What he means by that is the living and enduring word of God that gives us spiritual nourishment, that grows us in our faith as we hear God speak to us through his word. What a privilege. These are the very words of God that we have in the Bible. But you know, I look back at my personal Bible reading the last week, maybe the last two weeks, and it doesn't reflect that I crave the word of God. I wonder if that's your Bible reading. We need to capture a sense, don't we, that this is God speaking to us. This is how we grow up in our salvation. God speaks. How do we know he is holy? How do we know he has redeemed us through his word? And so Peter says, crave it. Because it does grow us wonderfully. It transforms our life. To taste and see that the Lord is good. But come back with me to the cups on my kitchen bench. Set apart for the purpose of me drinking the green and pink bottom cups. We have been set apart by God, haven't we? To be his, to be holy. We've seen that God himself is holy. He has redeemed us as his people. And so, be holy. Fear God. Love one another and crave his word. Let me pray. Now, Father, we thank you for the extraordinary truth that you are holy. And we marvel that we can come in your presence and not be consumed because of the wonderful death of the Lord Jesus, uh, extraordinary on our behalf. Father, thank you for the great hope that we have. And so help us to fear you as our heavenly Father, to run to you, to love one another and to crave your word. Amen.